Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax. Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. We are back, fellow conspiracy realists. Well, still here, never left, but... We're all at least in the same city for now. Over the past weeks, folks, your faithful correspondents have been all over the place. In fact, some of us are on the road again tomorrow as we record, and all of us will be traveling together for a little book tour in October. You can find the link in our uh, description, wherever you find podcasts. Uh, get some tickets. Let's see, where, where are we headed? We're going to D.C., I think. Massachusetts, right, and uh, right here in Atlanta. Yeah, Eagle so Eye hey, Books. look, we'll give you the dates really quick if you want to write them down, or you can just go to the link. Tuesday, October 11th, we will be at Eagle Eye Books for a special 
appearance, a, a, an event with a book. On Thursday, October 13th, we'll be at 6th and I, that's S-I-X-T-H and the letter I, in Washington, D.C. And on Friday, October 14th, we will be in Plainville, Massachusetts, at this awesome place called An Unlikely Story. I love that name. And also for everyone who has written to us, uh, it, like written written to me personally or written to us as a show and said, hey, when are you guys going to go to Insert City here? Write to our bosses. Make a stink. We got your back. Let's go. Uh, let's go further into the rabbit hole uh, today. Despite our travel, we have to admit Matt, Noel and I. We have nothing on the movers and shakers of today's episode, cartels, specifically drug cartels. Wait, there's more specifically illegal drug cartels, because yes, your local big pharma folks are a cartel. Uh, today's question, how close are these criminal organizations to becoming even more powerful, as powerful as, say, a government or an international corporation. The answers will surprise you. So here are the facts. First, uh, what do you guys think? Quick recap on cartels. What is a cartel in general terms? Well, a cartel is in general terms, as you said, Ben, uh, it's a group of different businesses, entities, really, that work together as one to, this is the main thing, control prices of whatever the product is it is that they are selling or and or buying and dictating the supply where that stuff is available and when it's available. You might have also heard the term syndicate seems sort of similar to that uh, syndicate and cartels also both seem to have kind of nefarious shadowy uh, connotations, right? Like a crime syndicate or a drug cartel. A hundred percent. Yep. And it should be noted that when we're talking about controlling prices, that that's really a lot of different things. It could be controlling the raw products that go into making the thing, the actual widget or whatever it is that they sell, or in this case, cocaine, uh, or just controlling the end price and then manipulating stuff on the inside and the earlier processes to create cocaine. Yeah. Play with the variables and, uh, <laughs> and see if you can get the equation you desire. Look, yeah. <laughs> Cartels are not always criminal organizations inherently, but when they get powerful enough, they inevitably take actions that might be considered crimes unless they control the mechanisms of government, which is, oh, this might be a two-parter. All right, look, so OPEC, that's a famous cartel. Their thing isn't cocaine. Their thing is oil and petroleum products, and they run the game. Then there was earlier, uh, we talked about this in episodes on things like planned obsolescence. There was the Phoebus cartel. Uh, this was a kind of a, I don't know, I get where they were coming from. I think it was a kind of a weak name, but they're the reason light bulbs are crappy right now. They're the reason. They are the reason. They were the reason. They made a lot of money selling you and your ancestors bad light bulbs. Well, that's why filament light bulbs are bad, Ben. But those new LED yes. suckers, they're pretty good. <laughs> right, until an LED cartel comes into play. I mean, look, you know, it wasn't too long ago, guys, when we learned that maple syrup, of all things, is controlled by an actual fax cartel. Shout out to uh, our good friend Lauren Vogelbaum, uh, host of Brain Stuff, host of Saver, for introducing us to the term actual facts. 
uh, talked to Lauren earlier, she confirmed it is indeed all one word. But yeah, maple syrup. There's a cartel controlling it. That's why uh, it's all it's all befuddled here. But if we are being honest, the vast majority of people in North and South America associate the word cartel with one thing, crime. More specifically, illegal drugs, smuggling drugs, and all the related crimes associated with the acts of uh, handling and profiting from substances that a given government considers illegal. So look, cartels are everywhere. You're listening in Cambodia, there's a cartel. You're listening in Singapore, there are very wealthy cartels. Some of those, in fact, are trading and banking cartels. You're listening wherever, Omaha, Kansas, Plainview, Massachusetts. You are around and in some ways affected by some sort of cartel. But today's episode focuses on Mexico Let's head there, right? Because I think when most of the people in the U.S. think of cartels, they're thinking of drug cartels and they're probably thinking of Mexican drug cartels. Would you guys agree with that? A hundred percent. And you'll, you you may even know some of the proper names. You may remember like Sinola Cartel mm-hmm. or Zetas. Uh, Zetas were, that was a really big one in the news for a while. And then it kind of goes away and you forget about them. But there, uh, there are a ton. There are, there are a lot. And drugs, you know, there's a reason. Drugs have been a part of human history forever, right? Since we've been around, we've been trying substances. And what is this going to do? Oh, buddy, those mushrooms were different. But the history of the United States has this really interesting uh, relationship with drugs and alcohol. Mm, Yeah. Well back into the 1800s, even... uh, Prior to the formation of the United States as an entity, there were smugglers. Uh, They were not necessarily breaking laws or committing what you would consider felonies today. They were just trying to get around paying taxes for stuff, but still trafficking is trafficking. And it doesn't matter whether you're talking about opium or cocaine or cannabis a variety of substances have been illegally imported, sold, and distributed throughout U.S. history, often with devastating consequences. Um, like, think about the turbulent era of opium dens. Okay, says the U.S., opium, <laughs> surprise, might be kind of a problem, so let's make certain places legal. You know, kind of the cafe cannabis approach that Amsterdam took in the Netherlands. This didn't work. People were getting addicted to opium. They were branching out to other opiates. Uh, During the Civil War in particular, uh, the widespread use of morphine as an anesthetic led to morphine addiction. This happened again in the Vietnam War. But after the Civil War, government gears started turning and clicking. That's where we find something a few years later, well, many decades later, because government takes forever. Uh, (laughs) The U.S. came up with something they called the Harrison Act of 1914. The Harrison Act is important for this story because it outlaws, for the first time, opium and cocaine, cocaine, uh, for non-medical purposes. So at this point, in 1914, in the United States, you're a note from a doctor away from getting all the nose candy, all the all the green dragon you want 
but this this move toward um, somewhat regulating these substances, it doesn't do anything. Illicit drugs continue to circulate, and criminal organizations realize this can be a revenue stream. Why would you why would you bother really with illegal gambling at the dog track or whatever when you know you have a guaranteed crazy profit margin on things the government doesn't want you to buy? Well, yeah, you got to diversify, right? You got to get a little human trafficking in there too. I mean, you re- you uh-huh. got to make sure you're diversified when you're a cartel. Uh <laughs> But yeah, it's interesting when you hear a lot of the political posturing about the border, right? When when anybody's talking about the border, we got to secure the borders and everything. And you think about how porous they really always have been about how much contraband flows across both ways from the United States to Mexico and the Mexico into the U.S. Uh, it's weird to think about. Yeah. I mean, look. I'm old school with some of this geopolitical stuff. The only real borders that stand the test of time are geographic borders, mountains, rivers, oceans, inhospitable lands, stuff like that. Everything else is just a conversation that a civilization has with itself. So it should be no surprise that those are not as effective as the real borders of the world. Cartels today, it turns out, they do a lot of homework. They're not good people, but they are not unintelligent people. And cartels today owe a lot of thanks to things like the mafia, things, you know, like the Italian, like uh, Indragata and all that. The, the Italian mafioso who uh, they, they paved the way for organized criminal activity in the United States on the part of cartels. Contraband has been going across this uh, you you nailed it, Matt. They've been going across this porous border from Mexico and the U.S. since forever. And that border has changed over time, right? It's gone multiple ways. Not for nothing is there a state called New Mexico. Think about it. Anyway, so the, so the, uh, <laughs> the, the cartels uh, or something like the cartels really comes into being during uh, the great swing and a miss of American policy, prohibition. So yeah, alcohol is illegal as long as the politicians can stumble to the booth and vote for it. And these uh, folks in a different country across the border, criminal elements, say, hey, we can make alcohol. Or we could just move it around. And then they also branch out. As he said, they diversify and they start moving uh, cannabis later, and then they get into cocaine. And that's where the glory days of narco-traficante begin. So let's start with the Gulf cartel, not the, the Gulf cartel. That's that's different. But that, that is a thing. I mean, well. Yeah. Uh, that's live. Saudi Arabia yeah. just started it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Gulf cartel is a drug cartel. It's based in Matamoros, uh, Tamaulipas, Mexico. Uh, and it was founded in the 1930s by Juan Nepomuchino Guerra, um, originally known as the uh, Matamoros cartel. Uh, or uh, Cartel de Matamoros, um, the Gulf Cartel initially started smuggling alcohol um, and other illegal goods into the U.S. 
um, as a result of prohibition. It opened up this black market, as we know, like, you know, far and wide, domestically and abroad. And because of those porous borders you were talking about, Matt, I mean, this was just a perfect opportunity uh, to get in on the action here. Um, So once uh, prohibition ended, they needed something else to, you know, wet their beaks with. Um, So this organization started to dabble in uh, controlling gambling operations, sex worker rings, um, a network of thieves uh, that were like out stealing cars. I mean, this really is kind of, you know, low level mafioso type activity in terms of the um, what's the word diversification of crime uh, that they were working with um, and other, you know, other smuggling operations. Did you guys see in the news this is slightly off topic, everyone? I apologize, but whoop, we're going over here recently in the news. Two of the major uh, m- like mafia groups got busted recently in New yes. York for mm-hmm. for doing the kind of front company thing that we discussed in the past where there's like it looks like a nice little uh, I think a soccer club <laughs> or a cafe but in the back there's like a serious gambling operation and they're they're funneling tons of illegal money through there and laundering wash it wash your money just <laughs> just wash your money you know I can't tell you I, I probably legally can't on air how many times I've just happened by a little corner shop in some out of the way neighborhood in your favorite cities, by the way, conspiracy <laughs> realist, just to like buy a coffee and they're surprised. And I'm surprised too. I'm like, I thought this was a coffee shop. And they're like, oh, yeah, no. Yeah, we got, it's a, that? It's a, yeah, yeah. We got the coffee. And uh, yeah, right. And like, no card payments, only cash. And you, you don't have change. You don't have change for a 20? That's fine. I got a 10. You don't have change for a 10? I'm starting to think something's up. You know what I mean? Anyway, it was good coffee. I'll, I'll just, just take the that. coffee. <laughs> just take the coffee. Get out of here. Uh, don't yeah, tell your friends. I did okay, get free bye. coffee. <laughs> that's such a that's such a petty, like Larry David style hack. Go into a place that's obviously a drug front and just pretend that you don't have exact change. They'll give you the coffee because they don't want you hanging around. So anyway, your mileage may vary. Don't get shot. The uh, birth of Mexico's major cartel, like the major cartel period, you can trace it back to the 1980s. A guy named Miguel Angel Felix Gallardo, uh, who he was in, um, he's sometimes called, like his street name was the Godfather. Uh, He was the country's, like the Mexican connect. He was the plug with the infamous Pablo Escobar, who came very close to assuming political power in Colombia, you know, Pablo Escobar, the Medellin cartel, all the hits, all the good ones. Uh, This guy, Gallardo, goes underground when his partner in crime, his ride or die, a guy named Rafael Caro Quintero, gets arrested for the murder of a DEA agent in 1985. That's the uh, Drug Enforcement Administration here in the States. And so later... This guy, after he's gone underground, he's inspired to do something revolutionary. This is like the difference between the Old and the New Testament. He goes to all the narcos and he says, I extend to you an invitation. Huh? You see the Godfather thing? He says, let's get together and let's imagine them at a big like Vladimir Putin-esque style cartoonish table. 
like it's a very long, big table uh, because there are a lot of dangerous people there. And he says, okay, okay, guys, here's our deal. We're going to divide up this country between us. We're going to divide up the entirety of Mexico into different regions, uh, different areas. We'll call them plazas. And everybody gets a say in what their territory is. So if you are cartel A, you control this part of the country, this state or this region. Uh, this is a huge move. And it's one that all of the various players who are not friends, by the way, recognize as an enormous opportunity. And as history will later prove, a lot of them just agreed because they were biding their time to take out the other gangs. But still, this, this solidified the canonical players. This made the pantheon of cartels. This is where we get stuff like the Sonola Federation or the Ariano Felix brothers uh, out in Tijuana. Yeah, I was going to like make a joke and I think I don't think it would land, but it feels like this Gallardo guy is the Fred Hampton of uh, the cartels. Like not in a bad way because it's not it's a bad comparison, right? Because that would make you think that I imagine the Black Panther Party for self-defense and other groups like that is criminals, but it's not. I just meant like this this concept of this light bulb. Oh, this Phoebus cartel light bulb that goes off and you go, what if we all worked together kind mm -hmm. of thing? Um, yeah, that's perfect. And, and yes, and you did clarify quite well, but you're right. There's power in collectivism. Honestly, that's what they're realizing. And since that point, drug lords in Mexico and abroad, as you point out, Noel, they have come and gone and new groups have risen to power as ephemeral loyalties fade and shift, as political protection and patrons change, killings and arrests, you know, they leave vacuums in leadership and crime, just like nature, abhors a vacuum. In, in this quick and dirty history, already we see a clear pattern. The criminals, like mafia and bootleggers before them, found success by applying corporate tactics to crime, by organizing their efforts, collectivizing, by uh, demarcating their territory. They sought consistency in their product. And most importantly, this is a crazy thing. They realized two things. They said, look, we don't need to fight the law if we can buy the law. You know, it's like a Sith version of lobbying, which, you know, lobbying is a Sith version of lobbying. But and you pointed this out as well earlier, you got to diversify, diversify your funds, right? Today, cartels don't just run drugs. They peddle political influence. They've got their hands or tentacles or, uh, <laughs> or their firearms in numerous front companies. They dabble in non-drug stuff, avocados. We talked about that. Limes. Smuggling Limes, also limes. Don't forget the limes. They uh, smuggle guns. They smuggle human beings. Uh, hey, the cartels seem to say, get it straight. We're not just about cocaine these days. And at some point, we have to ask, are cartels now functionally corporations? More disturbingly, could they one day use their power, brutality, and influence to not infiltrate, but to replace governments. We'll pause for a word from our sponsor. 
Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. Here's where it gets crazy. Um, yes? <laughs> uh, well, what was the question again, Ben? Could, uh, could cartels replace a government? And are they functionally corporations? Okay. Yeah, you're right. Yes to both. You're correct. Right, that's our show. Thanks, everybody. Yep. We'll, All right. we'll, we'll see you uh, on the road. <laughs> man, good episode. <laughs> <laughs> good game. Good game. I mean, you're right. It's, it's fascinating and it's terrifying in equal parts. Yes, cartels, the ones that are around now, the ones that have survived, the eternal 
ongoing game of thrones and uh uh what's that show succession they they kind of do a succession thing all of those who have survived have survived because they behave increasingly like legitimate corporations and yes folks this is not a theory they could potentially replace elected governments either in part it's already happening or entirely and this is where we want to introduce one of the stars of our show today a journalist named tom wainwright i love this guy i love his work and uh you don't have to love it but you should know about it (laughs) you should know about it especially if you feel like my day is going too well i'm (laughs) having too much of a good time i need to pump the brakes on my happiness well tom wainwright is your dude (laughs) He pulls right up to the curb and says, uh, let me handle this. <laughs> Tommy Wayne, right? Yes, that's me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this dude's awesome. There's there's a great interview you can find with him. Oh, well, I know it was NPR, but I can't remember. Uh, Terry which, Gross, it was Fresh Air. It was, it was Fresh Air. Um, it's a re- really great interview you should check out. He wrote an amazing book from his Uh, his reporting that he was doing for The Economist for a long time. Yeah, back in 2010, our pal Tom gets a job with The Economist. It's prestigious. It's a prestigious magazine, and it is a periodical that is entirely focused on macro and microeconomics, right, which inevitably touches politics. So Tom is the Mexico correspondent, And he knows his remit as he's going in. His job in Mexico is to cover the biggest businesses in that country. So this is stuff like the oil industry, which is big there. This is stuff like maybe water, banking, uh, mobile communications, tequila, which is still, it's huge. Uh, And surprise, surprise, Tom, you also have to cover another big business, the drug trade. Especially the illegal ones. Yeah, right. Like, this is the point where we have to take a little bit of a sidebar and ask how much money these cartels make. Now, you know, we're not above calling out uh, uh, calling out things that need to be called out. So we have to give a, uh, a stuff they don't want you to know, womp womp, to Senator David Perdue from Georgia in 2019. Uh Let's just do his quote. So Purdue told the Senate International Narcotics Control Caucus uh, that these operations were bigger than most people could possibly imagine. And he stated the following. At half a trillion dollars, 500 billion That makes the cartel business and the drug traffic just in Mexico alone coming across the United States bigger than Walmart's. To put it in perspective. So this is larger than our largest companies. Hmm. Half a trillion dollars. Oh, just think about all the yachts, guys. Copious yachts. So many yachts. (laughs) Yeah, yachts are the Pringles of being a billionaire. You can never stop with one. (laughs) Once you you yacht, you just can't. (laughs) There it is. I mean, it's a it's a crazy quote, right? Most most people. And I, I, I say this not as a ding. This is just not uh, observation. Most people 
will have a very difficult time grasping just how much $1 billion is, let alone $500 billion, let alone a trillion dollars. U.S. politicians, in case you're listening and you're not in the U.S., you should know our folks are famous for convenient hyperbole. So we got to unpack this a little bit. <laughs> the actual estimates about how much money drug the drug trade makes they're all over the place if you look at mexico you have to kind of make an imaginary pie and then sort of eyeball what you think mexico's cartel slice of that pie is so it's really tricky all the estimates are reverse engineered and they're they're kind of a um <laughs> they're kind of a cosmic gumbo if you will mm-hmm. of uh, <laughs> Yes, please. <laughs> All right. You're on record. Yes. Uh, they take they take different statistics that can help them triangulate the whole picture. So you take stuff like the street value of um, how how is cocaine most often sold? Is it sold by like gram metric system? I think that's right. I think that would be like the uh, the base level. I think you never you can get much less than a gram. I've always heard this, like, you get $100 of cocaine, no matter what, no matter when it is, no matter what year, no matter where you are, it's $100 and it's cocaine. You'll love it. Well, let's, let's also just point out. That's a to you. That was very good. Is that your, your, your cocaine barker voice? We man? got more like cocaine. A, it's over here. We got piles of it, but it's only $100 a pop. <laughs> Mommy's little helpers. Uh, come and get yourself. Uh, no, you have to also remember that, like, the idea of weight, you know, that only applies to distributors and people that are really doing the business. Like if you're buying street drugs, you're not likely going to get, you know, verification of the weight or purity or even the guarantee that it won't just kill you outright because it's got rat poison or fentanyl in it. No, yeah, yeah. Not for nothing do people talk about stepping on the cane. So, yeah, the the estimates are coming instead from tangentially related things like the street value of a given amount of a given substance or drug consumption rates, which are already really tricky because when something's illegal, not a lot of people are going to tell you they're doing it unless they, you know, they have to. Um, Or they look at stuff that might seem not as related, like the amount of U.S. dollars that are repatriated from Mexico to the United States. Anyway, with all this, with this weird, uh, this weird mixtape, this salad, this goulash of related statistics, what you find is that since about 2006, estimates have varied widely. Experts will tell you that there is anything from six billion to twenty-nine billion U.S. dollars worth of value going through these Mexican cartels. Now that might not be a half a trillion dollars, but let's be honest, it's a lot. <laughs> the UN, for a wider scope here, the UN estimated back in 2011. They said uh, worldwide proceeds from drug trafficking and what they called transnational organized crime were the equivalent of 1.5% of the entire economic product of the human planet. 1.5% of everything. Yeah. Uh, And that number, by the way, is $870 billion, at least in 2009 dollars. 
Right, but that's not Mexico. That's everyone. So that's again, everybody. That's, that's GDP, global domestic product. <sighs> yeah. So back to this caucus you mentioned, Noel. Senator Dianne Feinstein, just to put this in like um, an across-the-board perspective for U.S. political wonks, she is hanging at that caucus June 11th of the same year, and she says... Quote, the illicit drug trade is a business valued at anywhere between 426 and 652 billion. Its reach is global. Its distribution is growing. Its leadership is criminal. So these politicians are kind of throwing out guesses, but they're all big numbers. There's no one who's coming along and saying, you know, playing price is right. No one is saying, I think it's 426 billion and one dollar yeah i was gonna say or just shoot for one dollar with those giant figures uh you probably win well ben i want to go back to old tommy wayne right uh no tom tom wainwright the awesome person who was interviewed on npr that we've been discussing because he did write a book about his travels and his reporting with the the economist down there and man he lays it out so plainly and clearly. I think we've got a quote from him, right? We do. We do indeed, Matt. Uh, he says, he says, uh, so he's talking about how weird his job became, right? When he, when he gets, he's, he's thinking, I'm going to report on mobile phones and maybe tequila. And he says instead, quote, I found that one week I'd be writing about the car business. The next week I'd be writing about the drugs business. I gradually came to see that the two actually were perhaps more similar than people normally recognize. Now, Tom hasn't, you know, sponsored the show or anything. We're just a fan of good sources and primary sources. So he wrote a book called Narconomics, clever portmanteau, Tom, uh, Narconomics, how to run a drug cartel. Uh, and it very much is like a textbook. So we're going to dive into some of this stuff. What does he find? This is so amazing to me. Oh, my God. What does he find? Well, we'll tell you what he found. Uh, He found that these companies were using business models that were very, very similar to the types of strategies um, and, you know, organizational kind of arrangements that big box stores um, or even fast food franchises use. And you'll remember back to that quote we, we, uh, we referenced uh, about, you know, Walmart in terms of like the amount of capital they're generating. So them being one of the biggest U.S. chains, Walmart in certain industries are effectively the only buyer for certain products. Um, and this is the same deal with cartels. And that becomes the idea of being an exclusive buyer, you know, the, the, uh, that, that is part of, you know, the cartel model. And we were talking a little bit off air about how I, I thought I just mentioned, um, you know, the character of Gus Fring on Breaking Bad and how he, you know, in his straight kind of cover life, owns and operates and runs day to day this like fast food franchise, the La Pollos Hermanos. And he does that with the same like fastidiousness and attention to detail. And in some cases, ruthlessness as he runs his illegal drug operation. Um, and, and, you know, and it's, it's a revenue stream in and of itself, but it feels like they kind of are like existing in these like very interesting parallel paths. Uh, I didn't know if you guys, that occurred to either of you in looking into this stuff. Well, yeah, if you think about that example and you imagine the price of the raw chicken that Gus Fring buys in order to cook and then sell in his, you know, stores, 
right? Uh, you, th- you can think about it the same way as the cocoa leaf for the cocoa plants that are grown in a very specific part of South America over there, like only a couple of places in the Andes Mountains. Um, so like if the price of that chicken in Gus Fring's case changes, Gus has to make a decision. Well, am I going to raise my prices or am I going to make other operating cost changes in order to make up, you know, for how much I'm going to make? How much, how much income I'm going to have, how much uh, profit I'm going to make. It's the same thing with the drug cartels. So they start, they manipulate variables, as we said, Ben. Yeah, yeah, just so. Oh, and we're going to get into this. This is crazy foreshadowing. We're actually going to have some math that is not boring in a second uh, or later this week. We still don't know if this is a two-parter. So, okay, let's think of, let's think of Tom's example here. Let's think of big box stores in the United States and in North America in general, Walmart is one of the biggest chains. Uh, It's so big that the children born to the founder were automatically billionaires, if not multi-millionaires. In certain industries right now, Walmart is effectively the only buyer of a good. So they call the shots to the suppliers. This means that if there's a, in quoting Tom here, if there is a disruption to some sort of supply and Walmart runs that supply chain, uh, Tom uses the example of like a bad harvest year for apples. Apple growers in that case, they can't increase their prices because Walmart is the only buyer. Therefore, Walmart dictates the price. So Walmart can say, ah, dang, we already made the price. And if you don't sell it to us, I guess just put them somewhere because they're not going anywhere else. Yeah. And that that makes way more sense when you're talking about a drug cartel and somebody, let's say, growing coca plants and coca leaves, because it's you have one person that you can sell it to, and if you don't sell it to that person, your life could be in danger. Yeah, right. Uh, if it just goes somewhere else and you try and offload it somewhere else, you could be in trouble with the person that would have usually purchased it, even if they're not going to buy it at their going price. Right, right. This is what economists call a monopsony. Not monopoly, monopsony. This means that a given buyer has control over purchasing a product in a given area. So if you are growing coca, you have an agreement to only sell to your Walmart, a specific cartel. Unlike dealing with the Walmarts of the world, violating this agreement doesn't get you in court. It gets you killed, often in horrific ways, because you are then most useful as an example to other people who might try to get a little out of pocket. And honestly, just like in the world of corporations, this approach works. Uh, Tom Wainwright points out how there was this, this weird thing that happens in Bolivia. Okay, so the government, with some funding from the U.S., the U.S., by the way, every time we talk about drugs, The U.S. is very much like, oh, the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing uh, because, you know, black bag budgets. Leave it there. Another episode. Uh, So Wainwright points out how there were millions of dollars pumped into this idea of flying helicopters and crop dusters, basically, over the Andes Mountains, uh, which is prime growing area for coca. And 
they were dumping weed killer. They were dumping herbicides over there and they destroyed thousands and thousands of hectares of coca. But oddly enough, if you were like a 1980s movie producer in Los Angeles, the price of cocaine from your guy doesn't change. It's the same because these cartels have learned lessons from corporations, just like Walmart. They have a grip on the entirety of their supply chain such that they can move the variables and they can make that thing, that street price on the other side of the equal sign, they can make it stay the same. It just takes some bookkeeping. Exactly. Well, and the prices that uh, Tom Wainwright describes, I think this might, is this the math you were talking about, Ben? Or oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not yeah, quite yeah. to Let's the math do it. yet. Do it. Okay. The, the way he describes the difference in how much a cartel pays for the raw product, the coca plants, like depending on how well the harvest was that year, the difference between a regular year and a oh man, this coca plant is twice as expensive as it normally is, is astoundingly not even a thing for the cartel. Like, there's no effect there. And here's why. Uh, So this is what Tom says within that NPR interview. To make, for instance, a kilo of cocaine, you need about a ton of coca leaf. And that ton, once it's all dried out in a country like Colombia, will fetch perhaps $400. Now, that's not much money. If you know anything, if you've watched any movies that deal with kilos of cocaine, $400 doesn't seem like much. Uh, That's me talking. Back to the quote. Now, the kilo in the United States will fetch about $100,000. So let's say you're incredibly successful in managing to raise the price of coca leaf and you manage to double it to $800. If you then manage to transfer all of that extra cost onto the consumer, make somebody pay a little more for the, you know, user side of the cocaine, that final kilo of cocaine is only going to cost now $100,400. In other words, you can double the price of coca leaf and you increase the price of the final product, cocaine, by less than 1%. That's insane. Yeah. All thanks to monopsony. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So this is... This is a phenomenon. This doesn't like this isn't how e- economics works, except if you're in the situation with this like super shady supply chain. It's how you can make economics work for you, and it doesn't just apply to illicit drug cartels. If you control uh, supply and demand, if you can artificially influence those things, then you decide. You can reverse engineer the equation. You can decide what the endpoint price is. And you can just make things work in that regard or work toward that aim. This is, uh, it's brilliant. I'm having a hard time with this because you guys know I like the closest thing I have to uh, <laughs> a spiritual belief is, is respect of intelligence. And this is very intelligent. It's very evil. We're going to pause for a word from our sponsors. And then we're going to take you to the next exciting part of cartels as corporations. Franchising, baby. 
Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. We've returned. What's better than starting a McDonald's? Starting a system where other people pay you to start their own McDonald's. This is franchising, and uh, cartels are hip to this. Again, very intelligent, uh, very not good people. Uh, Tom has our back on this, Tom Wainwright. Uh, he goes into detail specifically about the Zetas cartel. It turns out that these dudes owe a lot of their success, not just to the drug trade, 
but to franchising. Like a lot of cartels before them, they expanded through violence, but also through a business innovation that might surprise some of you, especially if you like own a Chick-fil-A. Yeah, it's true. Um, so when the Zetas uh, set out to incorporate into a new area or to spread their business into a new area, um, they send out scouts um, to find, uh, let's just say, underground entrepreneurs already plying their trade in the marketplace. They essentially make them an offer that's very attractive. They come at the, to them with a... Uh, presumably a better product, uh, the Zeta's brand, you know, um, and that's going to, they're, they're, they essentially, um, you're right, Ben, fa- franchising is the way to go. Like, you can't really, like, okay, you, you could have your little mom and pop diner, but what if instead you had a McDonald's? People know what a McDonald's is. You know, there's consistency. You're part of a family now. Also, uh, if you join us, we're less likely to just like snuff you out. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah. Always on the table. That's the inherent, that, that's the inherent kind of, um, uh, you know, subtext of the whole thing. Right. Yeah. And, and it's so weird. Well, yeah. It's so, it's so strange because it's not just the, the concept of a franchise, like selling a brand going, yeah, you should join the Zetas. The Zetas are, we're a good, we're a good group of, you know, cartel members and we really have each other's backs and join us. You'll like it. It's not that. And no, there's like, uh, at least according to Wainwright, there's like merch involved in actual branding. Y'all, where can we get our hands on some of these embroidered uh, baseball caps and t-shirts? No. No, not cool. Don't do it. No, I don't don't think you want them to have your address. Honestly, it's a self-preservation thing. Surely... You don't think they're available on the on the on the black market or in collectors circles? It just seems like something that somebody would be, you know, morbidly, you know, fascinated enough to have in some sort of like glass case. Well, at this point, in their rumpus room, yeah, it's kind of like serial killer merchandise. You know, would you would you want to be someone who looks like you're down with that? Even ironically, I mean, it's a question. But the uh, like the Zetas thing is, is a question. the Zetas thing is real in terms of branding. They're go- they're being very corporate about it. They're saying, "Look, hey, look, we see you, young man. You're out on this corner. You're running the block. You're doing your crime. We like that. And you know what? We like growth. We believe a rising tide carries all crimes. So, join up with us. Do some crimes for us. Call yourself the Zetas, just like us." Uh, we will take over your territory the way Rome of old conquered nations. Don't change your original practices. Just use our money, wave our flags, and give us a certain percentage. The flags in this case, as you guys mentioned, it's branding. It's swag. They will give you baseball caps with Zetas logos, T-shirts with the logo. They might give you some small arms, firearms training. In return, the Zetas, like the federal government level (laughs) that'll be funny later or terrifying the federal government level zetas get a share a percentage of all the money from those local criminals it is exactly one-to-one the kind of franchising model that you see in fast food it's so strange to me that it actually functions that way and and wainwright isn't making that up he ben he talked to people, to at least one person in prison that was running one of these franchise-like 
uh, franchise like Zetas, or is that not Zetas? Uh, it's darkly hilarious. It's a uh, yeah, it's a kingpin from El Salvador. Uh, so <laughs> so. Like any other franchise arrangement, there are pros and cons. Pro, this allows Zetas to grow much more quickly than their less illuminated competitors. Con, they have the same problem that all franchise operations have. The more franchisees you have, right, the more local outfits you have, the better it is for the big company because you get, you know, you get to wet your beak, as you said, Noel, with every single transaction. But if you are the local outfit, if you are the local franchise, then that means the more spots there are close to you, the more competitors you have. There are more people trying to eat your lunch or sniff your blow or whatever we want to go with this. Paul, I trust you on the edit. This makes things tougher for the local franchises. Every McDonald's, think about it. Every McDonald's ever in a given area makes money for the big clown but they have to compete against the other McDonald's. The same thing is true in the drug trade. In legal franchises, franchisees can go to court. They can sue. Uh, it's called encroachment. They feel like their federal government, their big company, their grand poobah, has uh, done them dirty by having too many, you know, McDonald's or Burger Kings or Arby's, Subways, Nando's. It doesn't matter. It's the same thing. And the problem is when we're talking about illegal drug trafficking or, you know, just organized crime franchising, there's not really a court of law. There's someone who decides to kill you and you don't really have appeals. It's just so weird to me to think about two groups of Zetas that converge on the same corner. And then there's a conversation. Well, no, this is our corner. It's well, like wait, the Spider-Man meme. No, this is a Zeta corner. Yeah. <laughs> no, wait, no, but we're the Zetas. <laughs> yeah, but but we're the Zetas. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. That is like a, it's like a West Side Story, like rumble kind of situation. But, you know, yeah, you're right. It's like the Spider-Man meme where they're pointing at each other. But, you know, you could also argue that, I mean, the obvious argument is that prohibition of drugs in general is what creates the uh, the, the, the the vacuum that these folks operate 100%. in. 100%. You know? um, and that's, there's no question about that. But you could also argue that without a larger scale cartel situation, there would be much more chaos and infighting between, you know, much, a much larger number of competing entities. Uh, don't you think? I mean, obviously the cartels are, I'm not, I'm not being a cartel apologist here. I'm saying they do serve some function uh, in, in, you know, in this world. Objectively, that's not a bad point because the alternative would be um, a more microeconomic king of the hill, block by block, city by city fight. Uh, but we're, again, we're not being apologists here. Uh, what we're seeing is a natural evolution, uh, as disturbing as it may seem. It doesn't, in these sorts of systems, it doesn't really matter what you're selling. It matters how you sell it and how you control uh, competition, right? And how you control access to resources. We just got a bunch of game theory listeners' ears perked up when we talked about that kind of command and control and management stuff. So shout out to uh, Settlers of Catan. Shout out to a couple MTG decks. Uh, look, this is the thing. Uh, <laughs> Wainwright knows this, as you were alluding to earlier, Matt. Wainwright knows this because he sits down with a drug kingpin 
who is in jail in El Salvador and talks with the guy. Uh, and Tom notices. Tom is like, look, this guy is in jail physically, but he's still clearly running his business, right? He just has, he he just couldn't choose the address of his apartment, basically. But his life continues. And this guy's gripes are one for one all the stuff you would expect to hear from like a very stressed out mid-level manager. Like, oh, my staff needs to be better. Oh, these people are like doing the wrong thing on this block. And oh, why do they have these deals? That kind of stuff. And it's interesting, but as a lot of people, a lot of our fellow listeners today will point out, all businesses, legal or illegal, you know, if if we become agnostic about what they are attempting to sell and we study instead the structural process of selling it, we see that businesses past a certain threshold typically evolve to practice the same strategies. That is largely writ. That is just capitalism with a capital C. But the big question, the dangerous part, and this is what we'll end on here. What happens when a cartel replaces a government, a non-capitalistic in theory, entity, an entity that is meant to serve and protect the people who live within its borders. This has almost happened way more often than people like to think. I mean, like Pablo Escobar, who is, in my mind, most famous for introducing the hippopotamus uh, to South America, uh, but is also known for uh, dabbling in drugs and uh, ultimately he got very, very close to making a run as a legit politician. It's a scary story. It's worth looking into. But we want you to know that these brushes with replacing democratically elected governments, they occur more often than you think. And it works very, it's actually a simple system. You start, you buy the low-level folks, just like banks buy neighborhoods, right? You don't start in the most posh Beverly Hills area. You find the desperate people. You find the people who need help or the people who desire more power. You get the low-level folks and you support their careers. You exert your influence to advance your chosen moles, right? To ever higher positions of power. You don't start by buying a president. You start by growing someone into a president. That's the way. Yeah, you, do it. you buy an attorney general Clinton, who then becomes hey Governor Clinton, who then becomes <laughs> President Clinton. We just learned about that. <sighs> By the way, we didn't even did we even talk about Mina, Arkansas? No, and no. like everything that went down in Mina while he was like, yeah, while Bill Clinton was running, it's not shop over there. Clean. Cocaine was coming in mm-hmm. on airplanes, mm-hmm. and the CIA was involved. Hey, but he plays saxophone. Hey, man, it might have just been his own personal to get high with. <laughs> That's what it was. You think jazz That's plays it itself? Do you think jazz plays itself? No, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out, by the way, to Connor, who sent us an email yes, about that. Thank recently. You, I always love that Sam Jackson line from uh, Jackie Brown, where like Jackie Brown gets caught with cocaine. He's like, he just explains away, like, maybe, maybe she wasn't smoking. It might have just been her own personal to get high with. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, that was a very who, who are, remarkable. <laughs> Who are we to judge? Uh, So uh, the cartels think they are the ones to judge, to be honest with you. Speaking of segues, since about the 1990s, they understood largely 
these various different organizations, they understood their success was contingent on being a power behind the throne. For the Breaking Bad example, Gus Fring never wants to be police chief. That's too obvious. He wants to be the biggest donor to the policeman's ball, right? Uh, that's how you get folks. You start You start small. Koch brothers taught us that many years ago, and they uh, did it. Uh, they are doing it with great success, or they were. Uh, but the idea was if they can co-opt government authorities, all they have to do is give those folks a percentage, a, a really small percentage. What's big for an individual is small for a corporation. And again, these are corporations at this point. So they said everybody wins. You know what I mean? Except for the civilians. But those aren't really people. They're either customers or they're revenue sources or they're victims. Uh, so the alternative they had was open confrontation, was war hot war writ large. And this would have been bad for business. They didn't have a bunch of like um, go-getter guys like slapping themselves on the face and saying, ah, tonight we dine on blood. They were, they were like, what are our Q4 profits going to look like if we, if we can't make something work here? And this was sort of the lay of the land until about 2007. 2007, the boffins at the cartels changed their calculation, and thus they changed their M.O., and they begin to attack local elected officials and political candidates. Why did they do this? They did it exactly in reaction to a 2007 statement from the Mexican federal government that declared open war on cartels. Just for comparison, keep spinning these business analogies. Imagine if one day... Um, the president of the United States, as we record this, Joe Biden, came up on a press conference and he was like, uh, oh, gosh, I guess I need sunglasses if we're doing Uncle Joe. One sec. This prop comedy will be worth it for <laughs> Matt and Noel, folks. I don't know if it'll be good. Oh, I'm with it. Okay. So he goes on and he's unexpected. Uh, wow, I look like I'm on coke now. All right. He goes on and he, uh, he has an unexpected press conference and he goes, my um, uh, fellow Americans. The time has come. We can no longer tolerate the activities of Walmart. For the good of the American people, this is war. No more tuna melts. Like, that's kind of what they did, but with drugs and a lot more guns. I don't think Subway has an army. Well, yeah. I mean, if you just imagine, you, if you imagine how much of a betrayal that probably seemed like, because, again, these a lot of these local and larger politicians and uh, even government like military officials were receiving a lot of money personally from organized crime. hundred percent. There are folks like Ernesto Trucci writing for the Chicago policy review who pointed us to a fantastic study by Guillermo Trejo and Sandra Ley, which explains what is happening. They, they call it the criminal governance hypothesis. And they say the reason that these cartels actively were, you know, an open war against these governments is that they wanted to establish criminal governance regimes at the subnational level by subduing those local municipalities, the folks who need help the most. Just like corporations before them, they figured out that controlling the machinery of law gives you direct control over not just your product, but over what is defined 
as prosecutable crime. And it also helps you, you know, sell limes and avocados. Let's not forget about that. Zach De La Roca, it turns out, was correct again. The G-Ride. You want the machines that are making them. And the leaders of these cartels are many, many things. But again, like restaurateurs, they are not stupid. They could not survive this long in their environment otherwise. Maybe we, maybe we end on this, like a little thought experiment. Matt, no, no, Matt, let's say you are a cartel and you want to replace a government. What's the name of the cartel? What's the, what's the Frederick the Brown s- cartel? The Cinnabon Cartel. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's really good. All right. I I was going to be the Marcus Meth Emporium, but that's fine. Okay, different names, different places. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. We're at we're at we're at odds. Well, you're at the you're at the Luxottica stage, right? With sunglasses now. You're selling things under different names. So we got this cartel. Uh, Our guys need to expand and they need what all governments and businesses want. They want predictable results year over year, minimal expenses, maximum profit. Those big expenses for your cartel, they come in the form of criminal penalties. So being rational, very intelligent actors, you take a page from those Koch brothers out in the U.S. You start acting local. You don't buy presidents yet unless that president is cartoonishly incompetent. Yes, that is a statement that should be taken the way you thought I meant it. Uh, you start small, Zeta style. You look for vulnerable municipalities. Like, think about, think about this. All right, wherever you live, wherever you live, think about your world, your region. You know that there are areas where people are worse off than they are in other parts of town. That is where you go. You want to find the places where the rule of law and the governmental mechanisms meant to enforce that law seem most strapped for cash. Noel and Matt look at each other as kingpins of a drug cartel, and they say, boom, that's where we go. In Mexico, there's a cheat code. Texas. Texas. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Texas. Just the whole thing. Just the whole thing. One of the biggest states will just do that. And then what are we doing Thursday? But, But, uh... There's a cheat code, and we don't we don't really have time to get in the weeds with it now, but in Mexico, it turns out there's a cheat code. You, as drug cartel leaders, you find an area where the elected officials belong to a party that is not the political party of the current Mexican president, because that party, the ruling party, typically, historically in Mexico, is going to give less federal support against drug trafficking because uh, oppositional politicians run that town. And that means that the federal government is already poisoning the pill against these very innocent people. Now, if you're the president, you can point to those places with the opposing political party and you can say, hey, look how terrible they are. Look at all the violence in your city, in your state because you supported this political party. If you support me and my crew, my gang, maybe this can, you know, get a little better. It's gross. It's true. It's how the system works. If you don't fall in line with that current dominant party, you have a target on your back. And this, I wish this wasn't true, but it very much is. And then if you come back into the fold, you come in from the cold, that violence starts to go away. Wow. Just like that. Trejo and Lay back this up in their research. 
They show that cartels not only exploit political rivalries, but they also show, and this blew my mind, they show that cartels time attacks to electoral cycles, which is nuts. Imagine if an election was coming up in your city and you knew that drug violence was on the rise for some reason. And you might not know why, but you know it's coming. It wasn't a particularly great show, but um, that show Weeds, uh, as it kind of like moved into later seasons, did sort of show that process that you're talking about. I think at the end of the day, the president of Mexico was like deeply embedded within the the cartel. I can't remember exactly because it was, like I said, not particularly great, but um, it, you know, it, it is a thing for sure, the, especially in, in countries where that line between you know, politician and criminal is ever uh, thinner. Mm-hmm. Not to say that it's not a thing here. <laughs> right. We know damn well it is, but maybe not to the same degree of like, you know, uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's maybe that's a pipe dream. Maybe it's just as bad. Uh, who, uh, Money is a drug anymore. too, man. Money is a drug. True. One of the first ones and people get hooked. Uh, look, what we're saying here is not that cartels have replaced the entire Mexican government. Yet. Uh, we're not saying that at all. What we're telling you is something that's in its own way more disturbing. Cartels knowingly have their finger on the vote. They don't want individual neighborhoods. They want the offices of power. And what does that mean for the future? Honestly, it means things are dire. Opposing the narcos, as anyone can tell you, is a quick ticket to an early death. There are Many, many, many heroic individuals who are fighting against this insipid takeover. But there's a reason people talk about, um, you know what they call it, uh, what you're alluding to, Noel, in Mexico, it's sometimes referred to, in Latin America, it's sometimes referred to as plato plomo, which means silver or lead, which means if you can't be bought by silver, you will be bought by lead. Guys, forgive me. I think I, I think the symbolism here is being lost on me. Lead, alluding to bullets. Yes. See. <laughs> okay. Okay. Cool. Uh, sure. Silver bullets. If you wanted to go That's both if you're ways. Werewolves. We- yeah. Werewolves. Yeah. <laughs> huge, huge problem. That's our next episode. Werewolves. But also, we have to admit. Oh wait, wait. Have you guys seen that new vampire movie on Netflix with Jamie Foxx? Day shift. Oh my gosh. I loved it. Is it good? I liked it. I oh, really enjoyed I it. I had a great time with it. Jamie Foxx, Snoop Dogg's there. Uh, yeah, yeah, I like it. I, I'm a sucker for any supernatural comedy horror, honestly. Kind of has like Tales from the Hood vibes uh, from the from the promos that I've been looking at. Yeah, I'd be interested to see what you think. Like, uh, you know, uh, I think the three of us are actually, we have, a, we have a pretty good finger on the pulse of each other's taste. Like, I, I don't think we've ever given each other a bad recommendation on things. Unfortunately, not on the vote. Uh, we have very little control over that. Yeah, yeah. Well, podcast cartels aren't quite a thing yet. Drug cartels very much are. And they're, oh, I see your face, Matt. And uh, <laughs> with, <laughs> oh, I was about to say, I was I mean, thinking yeah. about it. Uh, well, well, uh, one difference between uh, a hypothetical podcast cartel and a drug cartel, especially in Mexico, is that, you know, the, the definition of the state really is if you get past all the niceties and 
diplomatic window dressing and all the, you know, pretense about cultural uh, traditions or whatever. What you really find is the definition of a state, the only one that matters, is the entity that has a monopoly on violence, on the legal application of violence. That is the only definition of a state that really matters in human history. And cartels are getting close to that. Cartels now have gangs and uh, regulated groups of armed forces that have, in some cases, got training from places like the School of the Americas. Look it up. Have fun. Uh, and this means that... And they've got branded hats. And they've got branded hats. they got the swag. You know, they're dripping. But the thing you need to realize is Mexico specifically is arguably home to more armies than the state itself controls. And that should scare you. Uh, and the big question, of course, if we want some light at the end of the tunnel, will legalizing these substances, will it curtail the expansion of these brutal regimes? I mean, I had to say, I, I hate to be this person, guys, but years ago, yes, that might have worked. But today, that window of opportunity may have passed people by. Cartels went from gangs to mobs to businesses to international corporations. And if you were listening now in 2022, make no mistake, the next step is governance. I mean, what does their IRS look like? Well, that's exactly right, Ben. And, and to your point, I think you made very early in the episode, uh, we were talking about prohibition. You know, once prohibition ended, they found somewhere else to to, to go in terms of like, you know, illegal underground enterprises. Uh, if, if all of a sudden tomorrow drugs were legalized, yeah, it would be a blow. But does it maybe mean they would get into even more diabolical and nefarious trades like human trafficking? They'd up their they human trafficking division? Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, I just don't think I think it's an illusion or, or, or a little bit um, naive at the very least to say that if we, you know, I made the point earlier about prohibition being a big co cause of this. But you're right. You, you, you can't put that back in the bottle tomorrow just by, OK, sorry, we take it back. All drugs are legal now. That's not going to end the cartels. Iron grip. Switzerland did fix at least to some extent their. Um, heroin problem right, though right? right by by legalizing and and making it a uh, something you could get from your doctor through a prescription which curtailed you know a lot of the black market heroin sales but that didn't remove the organizations that were selling the heroin so i'm interested to know i i haven't seen a deep enough dive in like what actually happened to the organization selling the heroin that is now legal they opened a mcdonald's yeah <laughs> It's not like the biggest market in the universe, you know, just, just to. It's a very wealthy fair. market. Um, that's true. But, uh, but this is, this is where we leave it. And, you know, folks, we have a lot of, a lot of our fellow listeners today have spent time in Mexico. Our Mexican nationals may have tragically had encounters with cartel associated crime. Uh, one thing that happens very often in the U.S. is that a country of millions of people gets vilified or treated as though it is monolithic. Make no mistake, just so we can be very clear, U.S. drug policies are a huge part of the rise to power of cartels. Uh, and there is a very compelling argument to be made that making these things no longer, making these substances no longer a source of illicit income will slice the Achilles heel of some of these cartels. But the again, the question is, 
you know, what if like, here, here's the thing. What if potatoes became illegal? As we're recording this, we get out of the booth, we find the potatoes are now illegal. They're on the level of heroin everywhere but Switzerland. Uh, McDonald's would not fail because McDonald's makes a ton of money as a real estate company now. They don't need the fries. Uh, Yes, but they could also just work with the government and have a few select McDonald's uh, potato growers where it's specifically (laughs) sanctioned potatoes for their products in the same way that drug companies, you know, still buy heroin essentially to turn into legal prescription drugs. Uh, That that still happens. Remember that. Uh, I'm going to turn into a potato hoarder. I can't live without them. I'm addicted. I need the carbs. You know, Uh, but uh, we also need to thank you, folks. So we went a little long on this one, but we we feel like the conspiracies are real uh, and they need to be examined in more depth. So thanks to Tom Wainwright. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. The most important part of this show is you. We want to hear from you and we try to be easy to find online. Correctamundo. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. And you can find us on YouTube at the handle Conspiracy Stuff. On Instagram, we exist as Conspiracy Stuff Show. And hey, while you're on the internet, go go pre-order that book. Pre-order the book. Stuff they don't want you to know. The book. Ben Bolin in the big text for damn good reason. Uh, Brown. With 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 Matt, Matt with Matt Frederick and Noel Brown. We did our best. Uh it is so good. Uh, it really is. And the reviews are coming in and they're really positive. And it really I'm just so proud of you, Ben. Uh, uh proud of all of us, but, but really just knocked it out of the yeah. park. The illustrations are cool. It'll be a cool addition to any Conspiracy real exactly. Admiral Turbo, Nick Benson, fabulous friend of ours, mural artist extraordinaire, did these beautiful uh, comic book style illustrations. Get ye to an Amazon or whatever Barnes and Noble page and, and pre-order that business. It's going to be a really nice looking and most importantly reading book. And thanks to everybody who already did pre-order and uh, sent uh, sent a note to me. Uh, I just got back in the states for a sec. Uh, I've got got some personal thank yous on the way uh, it might be filmed in a weird place uh but uh, <laughs> but yes we we are grateful you will also uh not to be too orphan annie christmas story about it you also get access to a secret episode when you pre-ordered the book we're not even going to tell you what it is nope hey and in the weirdest turn of events ever our podcast got turned into research that got turned into a book. Then that book got turned into an audio book. So our podcast like went around this weird, weird way to turn into a really cool prose audiobook. It's awesome. It's really, really good. And I can't wait for y'all to hear it. So uh, check that out for yeah, sure. And if you, if you, uh, if you don't like it, then buy it for your enemies. That'll show them. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but if, you, if, you, if you, that'll show, but if you uh, if you have something to say, we very much cannot wait to hear from you, and we have your back. If you do not sip those social meads, you can use your phone for its old school once upon a time purpose, and give us a call at our dedicated line where we are one eight three three. S-T-D-W-Y-T-K. You'll hear a voice. You'll hear a bing. That gives you three minutes. Those three minutes are yours. Go nuts. Go wild. Get 
weird with it. Uh, give yourself a nickname, a moniker, an appellation, if you will. Uh, tell us what's on your mind. Tell us if it's okay to use your name and or voice on the air. And most importantly, if you need more than three minutes, we have your back as well. All you have to do is send us a good old-fashioned email where we are. Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax. Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com.